Hello, Husky community, and welcome to Career Talks. This episode, we're going to be meeting with Eli Heller, one of my teammates and colleagues in the Career and Internship Center, and we're going to be learning what it's like to be a career coach, how you got to that journey from Bellevue College to the University of Washington, and even coming from Southern California, moving on up to Seattle. Stay tuned for a great episode with one of my good friends. And there we go. And now welcoming Eli Heller. Hi. Oh, hi. How's it going? It is going well. Happy Friday. Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Friday. I think by the time that this gets posted and people can hear it, it'll be a little bit after Halloween, but we're still living in that excitement. We sure are. It's <laughs> it's my personal favorite. My Personally, it's my favorite holiday, I gotta say. <laughs> too. The costumes, the dressing up, the creativity. Yeah, the creativity is endless. So I look forward to it every year. Yeah, so for anybody listening now, Eli and I actually got hired on at the same time. So Eli and I worked together in the Career and Internship Center. We started, what, like a week apart? A week apart. Yeah. And, and so... Um, Hopefully that reads to everyone listening that we know each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first, I, I get a great classic interview question. Um, what is, like, tell me about yourself. Yeah, so I am a career coach uh, at the University of Washington Career and Internship Center. I've been a career coach for a little bit over a year. Uh, prior to that, I worked as a community college counselor or academic advisor for exploratory students um, and a program specialist as well for two years at Bellevue College. And then before that, I was a grad student at the at Seattle University in the Student Development Administration Program. So I've had um, a couple of different experiences. I, uh, I also did a brief contract at Microsoft when I first finished grad school, um, but I always wanted to end up in career services. I always wanted to end up working with students on career development and helping with written materials like resumes, cover letters, and personal statements. And I'm really glad to be doing that now at UW. Yeah. And to kind of touch on what you said, so I know you said you're a grad student, and I know that you were a grad student just from knowing you prior. Um, what was your graduate degree and undergrad? What did you study for both undergrad and graduate? Sure. Um, so I'll start with undergrad. Uh, I'm from uh, Southern California. Originally, I'm from the Los Angeles area, and I attended UC Irvine in Orange County, California. And when I was there, I studied art history and literary journalism. Those are my two majors in the School of Humanities at UCI. And then for grad school, uh, that's what brought me to Seattle. I studied student development administration. Cool. And that's, that's their two-year program, right? Yes, a two-year master's program. It's a master of education degree. And actually it's, so it's part of the College of Education at Seattle U, which is actually only grad, pro, grad programs. There are no undergrad uh, majors in the College of Ed. It's all different master's uh, programs and one doctoral program. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, one question too. So I know you said 
the reason why you came to Seattle was to go to the master's program. What made you pick Seattle? Uh, that's a great question. And um, yeah, there's a couple of answers. So <laughs> I, I really wanted to come to Seattle because I had visited the Northwest a couple of times previously and really, really had a great time. I had been to Seattle, I think twice and Portland once and just loved both and really wanted to kind of be away from California, be away from LA, but not so far away. Um, so that was the first reason, really wanted to get to know the Northwest. Um, second reason was that I really, uh, I wanted to live in a place that was very LGBTQ affirming and um, be in a place where there was a strong and thriving queer community that I identify with. And so Seattle definitely provided that for me, especially the part of Seattle that Seattle U is located in. It's right in Capitol Hill. And I actually lived a couple blocks away from campus when I was a grad student. Um, so that was a pretty positive experience. And just Seattle is a fun place. There's just, um, there's so much to do. There's so much beautiful nature here. Uh, the city itself has a lot of great, you know, in a non-COVID time, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of events and activities and music venues and, um, one community that I've become involved with also is the Seattle Men's Chorus. And so I've had some of my best memories of my life really have been performing with the Seattle Men's Chorus. So there's there's a lot here for me and I really, really love living here. Oh yeah. When I first moved to Seattle, I was living in uh, an apartment right next to the track at Seattle U and beautiful campus, beautiful mm -hmm. restaurants. I completely didn't connect that. Yeah, that's right in Capitol Hill. Yep. <laughs> yeah no seattle seattle pretty much has it all except for a lot of sun <laughs> so <laughs> does not have that <laughs> so you have family now that live in the portland area right i do i my dad and my sister both live in portland wow so, so yeah. i have an aunt that lives in portland so it's far enough away to have like a safety net but I mean, close enough, actually, to have a safety net and far enough away where you have your independence. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's a, it's a good balance for that because I'm on the same time zone as uh, my friends and family in Southern California, uh, but I'm far enough away that I definitely have my own space up here. Yeah. So another thing you mentioned a little bit ago was that you were, I don't know if you said it in this, this, this many words, but that you're really interested in career coaching. How did you even know that career coaching was a thing? Because I, before getting this job, I had no clue. Yeah, so it's 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 a fun story actually. I um, so I, I never really knew what I wanted to do with my life and with my degree. And um, both of my parents are artists, and I sort of got this message that you can be whatever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do, it's up to you. Um, so I, I was I was very privileged in the sense that I didn't have parents who, who pressured me to major in a specific discipline and do a specific type of job. But the downside of that was not really having any direction. And so I didn't really know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I loved my studies in journalism and art history. I wrote for the newspaper, I did a art museum internship. But at the end of the day, I didn't really want to work at professionally as a writer or in the art world. I, I wanted something more and I had ha I wanted something more people focused, I should say, because um, I really like helping people. And one of the other really impactful experiences I had when I was 
a student at UC Irvine was I was a peer academic advisor. And I also worked in housing for a little while too. And so that kind of introduced me to the field of student affairs. And I just, I met some professionals in student affairs that I reported to when I was a student employee there. And I, I really resonated with just the message of being able to support college students and understanding all the different ways to do that and how many different student populations there are and how people's lived experiences dictate their experiences at the university setting. And just, I was so fascinated by all of those things. So that plus my experience um, with not being decided about my career really contributed to me wanting to go into student affairs and then also wanting to specifically work uh, in career coaching or academic advising. And you did both. I mean, you're doing and both. And I've done both, yeah. But I, I think that in the long term, yeah, <laughs> I think in the long term, uh, career coaching is is definitely the best fit for me. Yeah, and so that actually brings that's a really good segue to my next question. Is really, um, so I know you mentioned a couple jobs that you've done. Can you give us a little bit more um, highlights or details from each of those jobs? And and I would, I would even say um, the good and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Um, let's see, where should I start? Um, well, I, I, I guess I'll start with the fact that, so I, my, my longest full-time experience in student affairs was at Bellevue College. Um, had a really positive experience working there, met so many different students, and just the, the diversity at community colleges is, is just amazing. And there's so many different types of students and different types of individuals that come through community colleges. And I really, really loved uh, getting to hear uh, about students' individual stories. So I really, really appreciated that aspect of my work there. But I think it was also very revealing to just see how so many systems, you know, in, in our culture are just not set up to support all people equally. And there are just a lot more barriers for some populations than there are for others. And, uh, you know, it's, it just, it was, it was kind of very revealing and very, very, in a lot of ways, disappointing to just see how some, some people are not set up for success. And, you know, that's, that's why this work is so important to me is to just be able to kind of meet students where they are and support them to the best uh, of my abilities and, um, and give them what, um, what I think as much as I can to, to for, for where they're at. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, just from my short time at Seattle Central College when I was working there, the people that work within community colleges, they work so hard and they're usually so understaffed in their departments. So I'm sure, I don't know what advising was like, but, but the people, yeah, it's, it's a tough job. And of course, they're not making like tech money, tech salary in Seattle, but they're, they're working really hard to try and get students there on their course. Right. And, and, you know, it's just exactly. And it just, it just goes to show that, you know, universities and colleges in the first place were, were set up as a very exclusive system to begin with in our, you know, if we look at the history of higher education, um, you know, it, it was not designed to include everyone and it was not designed to support everyone. And so we're, we're still suffering from that today. And, and a lot of students are really still suffering from it. So that was, that was especially clear when I was working at the community college. So anyway, all that to say, equity is important. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And and I think I think your work here has just shifted a little bit. I don't know. Um, we've started to include a lot more equity um, 
inclusion, diversity, and access work. Um, can you share a little bit about what you've done so far with that? Yeah, so let's see, where should I start on that? Um, well, on our team, we created a list of tasks for um, all of the staff to kind of distribute and divide and conquer and, and generally make our practices and working with students more supportive and more equitable for all student populations. And so one of the tasks that I completed was learning more about the history of land acknowledgement here at the University of Washington and, and kind of more about land acknowledgement just as a practice and, and what it really means and why we do it. Because I think that a lot of students and a lot of staff and faculty too don't really understand the message behind it. And so from reading, doing some of that research, I learned a lot more about land acknowledgement. It is not a new practice at all. It is something that's been going on that indigenous populations have been practicing for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it's really important for us to understand how our existence and our experience here at the university really fits within a broader historical context of the Puget Sound area, who historically lived here and occupied this area, um, lived on this area, called this area home. Um, so that was a really revealing um, and very uh, engaging opportunity that I had to learn more about land acknowledgement. And I got to present my findings and, and what I learned to my team a couple months ago. So that was pretty cool. Um, I also think that an ongoing part of this work as far as diversity and inclusion is kind of what I was saying before, meeting students where they are and understanding the identities that I carry and understanding my my levels of privilege and and understanding how certain levels of support um, you know there there are just are certain things identities and experiences that I can't I can't I I can't empathize with a hundred percent but I can certainly listen and support and actively listen and support students so I think that it's that's a part of all of our responsibility yeah <clears throat> and I think that that kind of opens up. Um, I know we may have very different ways that we might share out what, what we do as a career coach. So I'm wondering, I may have talked about like my role as a career coach before in past episodes, but um, what would you say that you do as a career coach? Like what, what is your, what are your projects as a career coach essentially? Yeah. So um, let's see, aside from meeting with students um, individually for 30 minute appointments, I also do um, some work on pre-health. So the pre-health population, uh, they are working on their applications and exploring their careers in um, whether it's in medicine or, or physician assistant or dentistry or pharmacy. Uh, I, I, I help uh, answer an inbox that has where students submit questions, students in the pre-health population submit questions. And sometimes those questions come up in individual appointments with students who, are, who identify as pre-health or pre-med. Um, so I work on that. Um, I also have been doing some workshops. So we have departments that request workshops from career, the Career Center. And so I've gotten to do some workshops for the communications, sorry, the PR Society of America, the UW chapter, which is an RSO here on campus. I've gotten to do requested workshops for the Department of Music and for the Department of Art. And I'm doing another one for the Department of um, Fisheries and Aquatic Sciences coming up in November. So getting to do those workshops is always fun. Let's see, I'm also working on, that's, those are, those are pretty much, at this point, those are pretty much 
my my main projects actually yeah <laughs> so you mentioned like a pretty big topic that so we recently restructured um, some of our services but when we got hired on you were a pre-health coach <laughs> and I was not correct yes <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah so pre-health was a bigger broader um, area of our office and just due to lack of staffing we've kind of trained up all the rest of the coaches but you what went into learning pre-health as a career coach for you because you've definitely done a lot more work around it than I have yeah so there's a whole different there's a whole specific aspect of career coaching which is specifically pre-professional coaching so what that means is coaching that is for students whose career goal is to do a job that requires additional schooling. Does that make sense? Yeah, for the, especially for those like specific careers. Right, so, so pre-health, pre-law, um, those are kind of the categories of pre-professional coaching. So, you know, you can't be a lawyer without going to law school. You can't be a doctor without doing additional schooling and going to med school, right? So that's that pre-professional coaching. And so specifically what that looks like for pre-health is it looks like understanding what a strong application looks like and all the different components that go into an application. So understanding how to support students with finding clinical experience, um, patient care experience, also provider facing experience where they can shadow a doctor and make sure that medicine is really right for them um, by seeing what a doctor does all day. Um, it also involves helping students understand the timeline of applications. So if they're gonna graduate one year, when, you know, when should they then apply if they're planning on starting med school, if they're admitted the very next year, when should they apply in that case? What does the timeline look like? Um, it also involves understanding um, how to balance things out, you know, and, and how to help students feel empowered even if they don't feel confident in their GPAs, understanding that admissions are holistic and they're not only based on one factor, and so they're not only based on grades, but they're also not only based on any one aspect of the application. Grades are important, but they're not everything. Those are some of the things that went into it. Yeah, and is there, so based on kind of your conversations around those topics, has there been like one very common kind of misstep that people tend to make? Um, well, this isn't really a misstep because it's, it's just so individual to the person and students, every student is, is different. And there's, there's kind of no one correct way to submit a strong application for medical school. And I want to say that again, there is no one correct way. There's no one way to be strong as an applicant to medical school or other pre-professional pre programs. But I will say that a lot of students aren't very jazzed about taking a gap year between graduating med school, or sorry, graduating from UW and then attending med school. And I think that that can be a pitfall because most first-year med students are not 22. And what that means is that they've worked before they went back into it. They got more experience. And all that did was strengthen their application. And so if you apply without any gap years, that means that you're applying with only three years worth of all of your activities and grades and experience because you, it takes a year to apply. So... That's, that's what I've noticed is that even though students aren't very excited by a gap year, it's something that some of them should consider because it will just help them have more time to make their application stronger and have at least all four years of college uh, yeah. go, go into their application. Because if they apply without any gap years, they don't even have any of their senior year grades counting yeah. in their application. I think 
I think the idea of taking time off between just undergrad and grad school too is it's not really given as much weight as it should. I, I think, how long did I take between undergrad and grad school? So I graduated undergrad in 2013 and then I graduated from grad school like two years ago. So it, it had been like five years. And I think in that time, I was really able to, to one, learn what I wanted to go to, one, learn that I wanted to go to grad school to what I wanted to go to grad school for. And I think I was a better student than I was when I was a 21 year old. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I mean, that's, yeah, looking back, I mean, I think that, you know, I, 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 I wasn't a very, I started grad school. I only took one year off between undergrad and grad. And even that wasn't really enough. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, you know, it worked out. But, um, you know, I think that I had a lot of growing to do and I, I was a lot more out of my comfort zone as a 23 year old starting school at Seattle U than I ever expected to be. And I think that was very jarring and definitely, you know, I had a lot of things to adjust to new school, uh, new living situation, new city, new program, new things I was learning, new job because I was also working. So just a lot of big transitions and I don't know. I think if I had had a couple more years under my belt, maybe it would have been easier, but I also grew a lot. So it's hard to say. Yeah. And so my next question for you is, and I know we've had kind of conversations outside of this talking about this too, um, but how has your identities really shaped your career journey? Yeah, that's, that's also a great question. Um, my identities have shaped my career journey in a number of ways. Um, I, so I think I mentioned, I think I mentioned this, I don't think I've ever really talked about this very much, but um, I think I mentioned before that I, I was, I didn't have a lot of direction when I was an undergrad. I, I had passions, but I didn't have a very easy time translating them into a career. And, but I discovered student affairs through on-campus jobs that I had, and I really got a lot of the, out of those. Um, but I guess the other part of that, the other part of kind of finding myself in college was um, I, college was the first time that I was really comfortable um, being out of the closet and being um, an openly gay man, you know, in my personal and professional life. And so um, I also really benefited from resources like the LGBT Resource Center and um, the LGBTQ student organization that I joined, especially right at the very beginning when I was a freshman. So I have a lot of empathy and, you know, I always will seek out employers that are friendly to my identities and that appreciate my identities because you bring your identity to work with you. And it's, it's just very important to, to do your best work. You do your best work when your identities are supported and represented and appreciated. So that's a message that I really believe in and that I, that I, that I would extend to any students that I speak with is how important it is to advocate for yourself. Oh, yeah, because I mean, as much as we talk about like personal life separate from professional life, that's not entirely true. Like you'll, you'll hear people talking about their partners, talking about family life, talking about experiences. And if you're not able to be completely like out and open in that regard, then that is definitely a weight that, that you carry throughout your job and it can affect your job. It, it, it affects the quality of the work that you do for sure. And 
you know, we had a conversation about this very recently. Um, but you know, it really depends on industry. Like a good a good friend of mine uh, is an openly gay man and, and is also uh, has a disability, and he um, he's an accountant, and he you know, unlike in student affairs where there are a lot of LGBTQ identified professionals working in the field, it's not really true about accounting. And so he took on a leadership role in his accounting firm to kind of start a pride group, start a professional resource, internal resource group for his company because um, he felt that it was, it was lacking and there weren't that many um, queer identified professionals that he was working with. It was pretty much just him. So, um, so his experience is very different from mine. So it's also important to think about that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we're, again, this is this is potentially a preview for people listening about the work that we're trying to also include in our programming is how to find a job and look for those signs and support you within those identities. So um, we're just right now talking about a lot, a lot about like queer identity, but you mentioned a really good thing about the intersectionality between like people who are living with disabilities and also queer, maybe people right. of color that are also queer and like the intersection of so many of those things, um, intersectionality meaning like the various forms of oppression that they must be like working through. And I think that's something that we acknowledge, at least I know the two of us do in the career field is that there are gonna be barriers and challenges that we wanna try and support students on based on their identities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, identities, I mean, that, and that goes back to kind of what I was talking about with Bellevue College in, in the sense that, um, you know, to bring in an identity on, on, other than a queer, other than queer identity, um, what about students that have dependents or who are working full time mm. or who um, are commuting from very far away and working full time and only coming to campus you know, for a class and not sticking around, you know, what, what about those students? And colleges aren't really set up a lot of the times to support those students. So I really noticed that at the community college. And I think that, um, you know, it's just important to, to make our services more accessible. So at the community college, one thing that I did a lot of was a lot of phone advising for students that were not living close by or didn't have the time to drive over to campus in the middle of the day. So oh, that's great. Yeah. Like phone, phone, phone was always an option for what kind of appointment student could like the 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 um modality of of the appointment it didn't have to always be in person. It could be on the phone. So yeah. So one thing, um, one question, I guess, really my final question for you is, what would you say to the students out there, um, maybe working through COVID nineteen, um, trying to still think about career, what would you say to those students listening? Yeah, um, well, I would say, first of all, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you should do I that would, now. <laughs> yep, let's do that now. Just take a pause, take a deep breath. Um, I would say that everyone's different, but everyone is special in their own way. People have different strengths, and that's one of the things that I love about career services. We help students discover their strengths. So everyone has strengths. And if you don't think you have strengths, it probably just means you haven't discovered them yet, but everyone has strengths. And I would also say that this situation is temporary. Um, 
we're not going to be stuck like this forever. But while we are in this situation, there actually are some saving graces. Uh, people are more available for informational interviews. People, uh, people can work where in a, in a place that they aren't living, so they can do remote work, and they don't have to even live in the same city that their employer is in. And the world of work is going to change because of that. And I think that, you know, in some ways, it's it's exciting to see what's ahead. Uh, what 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 some of the saving graces of this situation are is is just that it can actually lead to more equitable situations because this has kind of exposed some flaws in the system. So there's there's things on the horizon. There's ways to still learn, um, and you know your ability to adapt is only going to serve you later on. That's great. And and again, I want to thank you for joining me today and really sharing your history, your knowledge, and your identities with anyone listening. And it's always great to yeah. talk with you. Yeah, and likewise, thanks so much for having me. And I want to just say, I, I know I talk a lot, so <laughs> I hope that that made sense. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I mean, whatever. On your we, show. Yeah, of course. Whatever we didn't get today, we can always get another day. We can do a part two with Eli. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. And there you have it. That is going to be our last podcast episode before we enter a little bit of a winter break. And then we welcome you all to join us once again for Winter Quarters podcast episodes, where we hope to get some great stories from employers, alumni, and even students within our UW community to share out what their experiences have been like in the career world for you. Stay healthy, Huskies.